Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen. We're going to touch on that in a little bit. We're going to talk about Jesus' invitation today. This whole series is about Jesus' invitations to us. We, we call them the seven commands of Jesus, but really they're invitations, and that's what we've been trying to highlight. If you don't have one of these booklets that we wrote, uh, the seven commands of Jesus, please grab one. We've got them at the back. There's folks that will give them to you uh, on the way out. It's a great way to follow up if you miss a message or just to continue the conversation and uh, continue looking at the things that we're talking about. So today, Jesus' invitation to you, is an invitation to live in God's Word, to read, to love, to learn, and to live in God's Word. I'm going to make a statement a little while down the road here in this message, and it struck me uh, last service how significant that statement was, and so I don't want to pass over it uh, too quickly. How many of you have your Bibles? If you, will you lift it up, and then everybody else can see them? In our world that questions fake news and authority and truth and what's real and what isn't, you can keep them up. They're not that heavy. Come on now. This is the only written authority on God. That's it. There's a lot of people that write about the book. There's a lot of people that talk about the book. There's even churches out there that add and subtract from it. But you know what? God's word is the only... You can put your Bibles down now. That is the only written authority... On God. And there it is. It's our gift. You are invited to jump in and to read. And God says, here I am. Learn about me. Whatever you want to know, there it is. We're invited to read, to love, to learn, and to live in God's Word. Now, now, I think most of us would agree, if you're a Christian, you would agree that reading the Bible is a good thing. That's important. We get to know Jesus. We get to know God. Maybe we find a little of ourselves. Uh, I think when you become a Christian... We understand the Bible's a good thing, and we probably should read it. The, the problem is that most of us don't dive in and actually start doing it. I got an email a couple of weeks ago, and it was from a, a company that does Barnett. There's a lot of surveys about the Christian church. And it was, what is the effect of COVID on Bible reading for believers? And I thought, this is going to be interesting because we've got all this time on our hands, and we've got all this negativity and division and fear and hatred and all this stuff. People have got to just be pouring themselves into the Bible. Do you know what it showed? Christian engagement, and what they mean by that is time spent in the Word. Christian engagement with the Bible has gone down through COVID. We say that it's the right thing to do. The problem is we really don't do it. and We've all got our reasons, and I'm too busy. I don't have a translation that I understand. i got other things, whatever. But you know what? The invitation to, to read God's Word is, a, is an invitation to live in God's Word, to know God in a very, very different way. But if you're not, you've probably got your reasons. You, you've got your own reasons for why you're just not doing it. And there's a very common one. There's one, in, and it was amazing when we talked about doing this little video that you're going to see in a moment. We didn't have to cut out other answers. This is the answers that we got for the most part. And it isn't an age demographic thing. It's just that this is what people think things. So let's roll that video. Okay, so do you guys find it easy or difficult to read the Bible? Difficult. I find it somewhat difficult. Uh, it's kind of difficult at times. Difficult. Kind of difficult. Because I don't really read that much, and maybe the vocabulary is different than what I'm used to. Um, some places is easier than others. It's something you kind of have to read once, and then reread a couple of other times to fully understand. Sometimes it's confusing. 
Those are really good answers. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but a lot of you will go, yeah, I can relate. There's words in there that aren't in our normal vocabulary. There's names, goodness knows, that aren't a, a part of what we're used to in our world. And so we find the Bible difficult to get into, and so we really never do. And, and then some of you maybe said, well, I decided I was going to try, and so I started with Genesis, and, and that was pretty good. And Exodus, that was pretty good. And then I got to Leviticus, and I just quit. If you start out with Leviticus or, or Numbers or Deuteronomy, your time in the Bible probably isn't going to be very long. So maybe where we start is as important that we start. More on that in a little bit. But then there's another group of people. There, there's folks who just cannot get enough of their Bible. They're those folks that have it with them everywhere they go. And, and you, know, you know them, and they're not trying to prove a point. They're not trying to, to make a statement. It's just that's their go-to book. It is with them wherever they go because that's their book. That's, that's what they live in, literally. Those are the ones the Bibles have all the post-it notes in them and all the handwritten notes and all the colors and things. And, and you see those folks and you go, wow, what, what are they getting from that book that I'm not? But Jesus invites us into God's Word. It's interesting, uh, there's a course called Alpha, and Pastor Jeff just finished an online Alpha course here recently, and uh, they do a whole talk about the Bible. And so some of this stuff I'm going to share with you comes from them. One of the things they say is that uh, every year the New York Times publishes a bestseller list, right? Do you know that the number one bestseller on the New York Times bestseller list for the year is actually number two? Number one, every single year, year in and year out, since before they kept the list, the number one bestselling book by far is the Bible. By far and away, the Bible outsells every other book out there. In fact, since the beginning of the printing press, about 500 years ago, it's estimated that between 2.5 and 5 billion copies of the Bible have been put in print. Just let that sink in for a moment if you can. 2.5 to 5 billion copies. I read that 100 million copies of the Bible per year are sold or given away. A hundred million copies per year. That puts that book a hundred times ahead of anything that's even thought about reaching the number one in the New York Times. So why in the world all the sales? Why all the copies? Why all the free giveaways? Why is it that people want folks that they know and love to have a Bible in their hands, as they say in Alpha, quite frankly, because it's such a good book? But so many Christians don't know that for ourselves because we don't take the time to read it. So what is the Bible actually? Well, what the Bible is, is God's word to us. It's not a single book. It's actually a collection of 66 books. There's 66 books between the Old and the New Testament. There's about 40 authors that wrote those collected books over the span of about 1,500 years. So the beginning of the first book written to the end of the last book written, 1,500 years spanned. There's three different languages. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. The New Testament is written in Greek. And then Jesus grew up speaking a language called Aramaic. And so there's a smattering of Aramaic words in the Bible. Three languages are covered. There's books of history. There's books of prophecy. There's books of worship. Books of law and genealogy. And it's all good. It all has its place, and there's a reason that it's all there. And the more that we read it and study it and get to know it and we get to know the heart of God, we understand why all those pieces are included. There are wars, and there's times of peace. There is good, and there's evil, good people and bad people. 
There's sin and forgiveness. There, there's wild animals. There's people who do some incredibly nice things. And there's people who do some really terrible things. And then to top it all off, this entire book, all 1,500 years of its writing, 66 books, 40 authors, the entire book points to one central character. The person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is what the entire Bible points to. And the more that we read and understand and begin to see him in it, the more we see the Bible in a very new way. All of the Bible points to Jesus. And at the end of the day, the Holy Bible is the only written authority on God. As much as other churches and other people might claim to add or to take away from the authority of Scripture, the Bible itself says that we shouldn't do that. We're not to add or subtract one single word, one iota, one dot from the Bible, because the Bible is God's word to us. It is his way of making himself known to you and I. If you want to get to know God better, if you want to understand Jesus, if you want to know yourself better, start reading your Bible. It's an invitation to an understanding of the greatest gift that anyone's ever been given, and that's the death and the resurrection of Jesus for their salvation. And the Bible helps us to understand all of that. So instead of thinking of the Bible as an an old, intimidating, out-of-date, confusing book, think of it as God's introduction of himself to you. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You take that verse and spend some time taking a look at it. There's not another book out there that can do that. What it means by living is if If you start reading your Bible, and maybe there's a passage you go back to a couple times, or you like a verse and so you memorize it, and then you live a little bit of life and things start happening, and you get down the road a little bit and circumstances change, and you go back to that verse and you read that section again, and what you find out is it's saying something completely new. It still says the thing you got before, but it says something new. There's more there. There's a little bit different. It's like it fills out, and as your knowledge has increased, so does your understanding of that passage. The words didn't change. The verses didn't change. What happened was you realized that those verses are hitting you in a new way because the Bible is alive, just like it says in Hebrew. God is living and active. So God has come to us in a few different ways on earth, you know, and and the Bible helps to make that really clear. God isn't just off in the distance out there completely separated from humankind. No, that's not the case at all. There's at least three different ways that we should have the opportunity to know God in a very real and personal way. The first one is his word. The Bible. God reveals himself to us in the Bible. In it, we can learn who God is, oftentimes what God thinks and how it is that he's existed for eternity. We can understand why we're here. We can understand a lot of God's heart and intentions. Secondly, God sent us his Holy Spirit. That day came over a large group of people at Pentecost. He gave us his Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can believe in Jesus as our Savior, so that we can take the free gift of salvation and to receive it and make it our own. 1 Corinthians 2 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
You might think I don't understand the Bible. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't move me the way that it does my friends. Maybe it's that you need to ask the Holy Spirit to bring that Bible to come alive to you. Because we can't come to faith on our own any more than we can fully understand the Bible on our own. So when you're ready to start reading the Bible, you say, I want to make a commitment to know you, God. I want to make a commitment to understand what you're doing in the world. Ask God to give you the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you're reading, to help you understand how it applies back in the days that it was written and how it applies to you. Ask God to send his Holy Spirit to say, God, what are you saying to me? And what you find is the Bible is full of words of peace. And today we don't have much of that around us. It's words of encouragement. It's got words of love and and words of comfort. And in these days that we're living in, the little bit of that that we might experience seems to be gone in a flash and it isn't lasting. And living in these days and the days that are ahead, true, trustworthy words of comfort and peace are more important to us than they've ever been. And so the truth of the Bible, the truth of the God revealed in the Bible is more important than it's ever been. And finally, the third way that God has revealed himself to us is in Jesus. That's the one that people understand most quickly and readily, and that was God's point, that he sent Jesus to be a person. In John 1, 1 to 5, in the the very beginning of the opening words of the Gospel of John, he says this about Jesus. John says, in the beginning, and that's all the way back to Genesis, right? In the beginning is how the Bible started, so that's why he uses that phrase. In the beginning was the Word, and Word is capitalized. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, and what John is making a clear statement of, is that He is Jesus. The Word is Jesus. And Jesus was in the beginning. Before anything else existed, Jesus existed with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A lot of people say we're living in really dark days. You know what? They're not so dark that the light of Jesus will not overcome them. And as Christians, we have to hold on to that truth because we're going to talk about promises in a moment. See, John's making sure that we understand that Jesus is God. Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God, and he has forever existed as God. Like God, Jesus just is. He's just been there. He was there in the beginning, and everything that we see and know was created through him. So what really happens if we say, okay, I'm ready to try it. I'm ready to read God's Word, and and I'm ready to try to live in God's Word. What starts happening very quickly is you realize there's some consistencies there. And what you find is that the heart of God begins to be revealed to you in the verses of the Bible. In the very beginning, let's go back to that verse again. In the beginning, John picks it up in the New Testament. In the beginning, that simple phrase opens the stage to everything else that follows in Scripture. In the beginning, before there was anything else, before there was even the thought of humankind's existing, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God was there. And He is, and He is forevermore, like the song we just sang. God did, God is. And God does and will. Psalm 46 says this, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. In a world full of anything but stillness, anything but peace and quiet, do you know that God is God? Do you know and trust what the Bible says that God is? And do you know him personally? Personally? 
Have you taken time to understand his heart and his character and how much he loves you? See, when you get into God's word and we begin to live in it and to make it our own, we see that God's character throughout Scripture is consistent. God's character is consistent. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews 13 says, Yesterday or today and forever. God isn't moving like the changing wind. God doesn't change like the seasons. God doesn't change like presidents and politics and public opinion. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's why a book that is as old as some of the pages in your Bible is still relevant and true today because the God of the Old Testament is still God today. But do you know that God? God's also revealed to us in Scripture. Uh, this song we sang just a minute ago gets to it. I love the verses in Isaiah 6-3, this one. Uh, there's a group of angels that are surrounding God. And in my mind, they should be singing, right? They should be worshiping. But the Bible actually says speaking. One of them said something. And and there are very interesting kind of angels. If if you look at the English translation, it looks like seraph. But it really isn't it. They're they're really sarah, is how it would be more pronounced in Hebrew. These are sarahim angels. And what it means, sarah means to burn. They're fire angels. These, these guys had really important jobs, and, and, and they had jobs on earth. The Bible talks about it. These are protector angels. These, these fire, they're fierce, fierce angels. And God's sitting on his throne, and these Sarah angels are surrounding him. I think, what in the world must they be doing? And, and, and you know what it says that they're doing, Isaiah 6-3? One called to another. It said, holy, holy Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The Bible doesn't change, and God is still today who he was back then. Do you realize the whole earth is still full of his glory? We can't see through it. There's a lot of darkness out there right now. But the whole earth is still full of the glory of God. This angel looks to the other ones and says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They're proclaiming the character of God. They are, they are saying God is holy. And then I think it's really cool because he doesn't just say holy. He says holy, holy, holy. Holy is God the Father. You with me? Holy is God the Son. Holy is the Holy Spirit. These fire angels that are just incredibly powerful are speaking to the character of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are holy. Holy, holy, holy. And part of God's character is love, and you and I are the beneficiaries of that love. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. One of the essential characteristics of that holy, holy, holy God is love. Love for you and love for me. Maybe you've heard John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son... God loves us so much that he gave his only son, even unto death. And in his son's death and resurrection is the beginning of our salvation. That free gift that God gives us of eternal life in Jesus that we get to read about in the Bible. Also, when when you start reading the Bible, you start to realize that God makes promises. Unlike you and I, God's a promise keeper every single time. He has to be or he wouldn't be God. When we read God's word, promises are made very clear, promises to us as individuals and promises to us as believers. Some of those promises come in what we understand to be prophecy. 
And a prophecy, you need to understand, for someone to be truly prophetic, to be, to be a godly prophet, it isn't a, it isn't a prediction. It isn't a good guess. It isn't a stab in the dark. A biblical prophecy is more than a prediction. A biblical prophecy is a promise. And God has fulfilled every prophecy to this date that has been spoken in Scripture, and there are still some left to be fulfilled. And so a prophecy is a promise that either we see fulfilled in our lifetime, we see fulfilled in Scripture, or that has yet to be fulfilled on earth. A prophecy is a promise. It may not have come to pass yet, but it will come to pass one day in the future. Now, if you want to look for hope, some of the greatest hope that we've got exists right there. Jesus has fulfilled about 400 prophecies, right? But the great news is Jesus isn't done fulfilling prophecies because the Bible says he's going to do what? The Bible said he's going to come again. The Bible said he's going to come again, and, and man, more than any other time in my life, I hope that's soon. The Bible promises us that Jesus is going to come again. In addition to promises, God has also got a whole lot of instructions and invitations and expectations for us as Christians. And when we start to learn to read it that way, what we realize it really is, is a manual for someone to be a disciple of Jesus. Those instructions, those invitations and those expectations help show the way that we can live our lives as a disciple of Jesus. Finally, the Bible does something else that's pretty incredible. While the Bible might not answer every question that you've got about God, the answers that we need to have are all there. But what it does is it it deals with those questions that we all struggle with at one point or another. What's my purpose? Why am I here? Where do I go when I die? What's the meaning of life? God, what's the point of all of it? The Bible covers that. John 17, 3 says this, and this is eternal life. See, we know that we're eternal creatures, right? We know that, that we existed before we were born. The Bible tells us that. And it says that we will exist for eternity. The question is, do we go to heaven or do we go to hell? And that's your choice because it's a free gift of salvation that you get to accept through Jesus' death and resurrection. And this is eternal life that we're all bound for, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, we know that we're eternal creatures. Part of our purpose is to know God, that our eternal life is spent with him. And this is eternal life, that they know you. You want to know what you're on earth for? You want to talk to a friend who's struggling? I don't know why I'm here. Here's why you're here, to know God. Because when you know God and you've accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, you get to spend eternity with your creator. That, folks, gets at the heart of the meaning of life. So the evidence and the confirmation and the truth of God surrounds us all over, and we realize that, that God is love, and, and part of God's love that's so hard to understand is that God loves us when we're at our worst. Do you know how many of your secrets you've been able to successfully keep from God? None. Not one. Your darkest moment, your most embarrassing day, your worst sin. None of those are kept from God, and he loves you anyway. He loves you despite the things that we do. God is love, and and he loves us in the very worst of our moments. And, And what the Bible tells us is that we live in God's presence all of the time. All of our life is lived in the presence of God. We might not choose to acknowledge or recognize God, but he's there everywhere all the time. And so when God invites us to live in his word, what he's doing is saying, live in my word as you live in my presence. 
So you can live in the presence of God and have no idea who he is or what he's doing or what's going on. Or you can live in his word while you live in his presence and understand much more than we do without the Bible. So maybe you're ready to say, okay, God, I'm willing to take you up on your challenge here. I'm willing to live in your word. Jesus told us to, I want to do it. Where do I go from here? So I'm thinking, how do we do like a very simple, here's how we start. So whether you've spent your whole life living in the Bible or whether you've never even begun and today would be your first day, I'm going to challenge every one of you to do this very same thing, okay? Here it is. I thought, who, who is the authority in my lifetime to talk about the things of God? That, for me, would be Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. What did Dr. Billy Graham say about reading the Bible? So what's going to follow here is his suggestion when, when you become a new believer, when you decide to start reading the Bible, here's what he says. First of all, invite the Holy Spirit into your life in order to help you to understand and to discern and to read and to love God's Word. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. And then begin each day by, getting, by reading one chapter, not a huge chunk, just one chapter of the Gospel of John. Don't start with Matthew. Start with John. One chapter each day in the Gospel of John. Ask God what it is that he's trying to reveal to you. Ask what he's saying to the people that it was written to in that day. Ask what he's doing in that passage and why those verses might be in the Bible. Why did God include things that maybe don't make sense right off the top? And then finally say, God, what does this mean to me And ultimately, how can I apply this to my own life? And then when you make it through the Gospel of John, don't go back to Matthew. And that's usually what we hear is go back to Matthew and read the Gospels. Billy Graham says, go to the book of Acts. See, Acts is the record of what the disciples did to get the good news of Jesus out to the world. It shows us how the church was first formed and what the early church looked like. It's the model that we're trying to base our church on. And then it talks about the disciples doing things right and things not always going so right. As they went out to explain to the world the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of souls. Because really that's the point, right? The book of Acts talks about how the disciples talked about doing that. Then go back and and, and don't go to the Gospels yet. Go back and read the letters from those early apostles to the early churches. Those get overlooked by a lot of people. And, and in the months ahead, we're going to get into some of those because there's really, really good stuff for us. So that would be the, book, the books from uh, Romans to Third John, which is just before Revelation. Read all of those, and when that's all done, then go back, read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That will give you a great start on living in God's Word. It will help you understand the heart of God, the character of God, and the love of God. And the next thing while you're doing that is talk to somebody about it. Find a friend. Find someone you can trust or find someone who's just getting started like you are. Talk about what you're reading. Talk about what you're learning. Ask what they're learning. Do it together. Maybe you get yourself into a small group or plug yourself into a life group. But get alongside other Christians that have the same priority as you do to read the Bible so that you can grow in faith. See, John 1.12 says, To all who did receive him, he who be- or those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And, and as children of God, we've got a responsibility. And part of that is to live in God's word. And it doesn't mean you've got to set aside four hours a day. It can mean that you set aside 15 minutes. And why is the Bible important? And, and, and so many people get off uh, track reading devotionals and reading other books. And, well, this is more interesting. I guarantee you it's not. It's not more interesting than the Bible. 
Because the Bible is God's word to us. The other books are books about God's word to us. So go to the source, God's word to us. It's God's message of love and truth, and it shows the way to eternity with him because we're going to go one place or the other. Either we're going to go to heaven or hell, and it's based on our choice that we make in this life. God's word answers the big questions in life, and it tells us how we can live in a way that's pleasing to God. Not what makes sense to us, but what God is actually asking of us, what God actually created us to do and who he created us to be. In the book of James, he's got this phrase, I love it, be doers of the word. How's that for making up a word? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. It's easy to come and hear a message on a Sunday morning or hear something on the radio and say, yep, I'm going to do that. It's something very different to make it a part of your life. Being a disciple is to be a doer of God's word. 2 Timothy 3:16. all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Where does scripture come from? It comes from the mouth of God. People say, well, people wrote it down. It can't be authority. It can't be. You know what? The Bible itself said it is the authority of God. It is breathed by God to men who were so steeped in their relationship with him that they didn't question what they were told. They wrote what they were told. And here we are now. We have the opportunity to live in that book. So, so why should we accept this invitation to live in God's word? So that we can live it out in the world. As those who have been saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus, whose salvation is secure and you know that you're going to heaven, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did for you, you have a responsibility to live out God's word in the world. God's word is straight from God. It is alive. It is active. But we have to be in it if it's going to be active in us. In these days that are so uncertain and and we don't know what to believe, what's true, what's real, what's not, we don't even know who to trust. Remember this, you can, you can trust the Bible because the Bible says that God's trustworthy. The Bible is filled with hope and joy and peace and love. Hope and joy and peace and love that don't come from people, that come from the one who created us. They come from promises made by a promise keeper. They come from the death and the resurrection of a son who died so that he might be our savior. See, the truth that's in the Bible gives us a reason for comfort, for calm, and for thankfulness. God's word is a gift from him to us. And there's all this other stuff that we're being challenged, we're being encouraged, we're being bombarded to listen to. And all that it does is brings about fear and division. But God's word doesn't bring about fear and division. It brings about peace and comfort and joy. Because whatever happens out here, God is still on his throne yesterday, today, and forever. And he invites you to live in his word so that as a disciple of Jesus, you might go into the world and live out his word. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this invitation to be people who live in your word. God, and whether it's something that's a habit for us or something we've never tried before, I'm going to pray a, a bold prayer. God, I'm going to ask that the, your Holy Spirit would be present that your Holy Spirit would just bring a a beautiful divine heaviness to us that presses down on our hearts and and creates in us a love for your word that maybe we've never had before. Maybe it's someone who just says, hey, I'm willing to try. I don't know. I'll give it a shot. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us with a love for you and a desire to read your word, to live in your word so that we could live out your word. 
God, that we would, we would stick to it in bits and in pieces long enough that we would be able to see your heart, your character, and your love for us. Because once we understand that, it's a book we'll never walk away from. We'll, we'll be one of those folks that understand why it's the best-selling book of all time. God, give us hearts who desire to know you and to live in your word and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, um, we've got New Believer Bibles. And uh, on the way out, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible you're comfortable reading, if you feel like you've got more questions and you've got answers or whatever it is, both sides here, on your way out to the back, there are stacks of New Believer Bibles. There's all kinds of great information about how you begin living a, a Christian life in the front part of it. And then it's a very easy-to-read translation of the Bible, and it's a great one to have for first steps as a Christian. If you've got one at home and you don't read it because it's just confusing or it's difficult, uh, whatever it might be, if you would like one, please grab one, take one, read it. Take up that challenge. Take up that invitation of Jesus to live in God's word because, you know, there's a world of people out there that you're surrounded by that are literally dying without the knowledge of Jesus' death and resurrection for their sins. And if we don't understand through God's word how it is that we can share the good news with them, they may just go on living lost and we don't want that to happen.